Welcome to the American Negotiation Institute's podcast, where we will teach you the skills you need to get more out of life. And now your host, Kwame Christian. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer and I am passionate about teaching business professionals like you the keys to negotiation and persuasion. This podcast is produced by the American Negotiation Institute, where we offer live negotiation trainings and one-on-one coaching for professionals that want to learn how to communicate confidently and persuasively. Our guest today is Vernon Ross. Vernon is an internationally known podcaster, author, social media and digital strategist, and international speaker whose insights are based on real-world experience. He's also the host of the Social Strategy Podcast, where he reveals the stories behind the most innovative and successful leaders in digital marketing, coaching, and business, and he shows the listeners how they can create a social media strategy that takes your efforts to the next level. So what does this have to do with negotiation? I'm glad you asked. Being seen as an authority before the negotiation begins is an easy but often overlooked part of the persuasion equation. Today, Verdon shares how you can create a more persuasive presence online. The information in this episode is critical to professionals and business owners who want to establish their credibility before the negotiation begins. This was a really fun episode, and I'm excited to share it with you. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Well, Vernon, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks so much for having me, man. I'm excited to be on your podcast. So let's get started by uh, just telling the audience a little bit about yourself and what you're working on. Sure. Well, I'm the host of the Social Strategy Podcast. It's a podcast about social media strategy, online business, and networking. And what I do is I interview experts and hopefully industry influencers, at least that's what they are at the time I interview them. Sometimes that changes. People's focus changes. But... um I interview them about how they're using social media, what they're doing to grow their business, and what it usually turns into is a bit of an origin story about how they got started, some adversity that they ended up dealing with, and how you might be able to use that in your business to grow your business or to uh, solidify your online or offline brand. I'm also an author, a recently published book called Master Your Message, The Guide to Finding Your Voice in Any Situation. Uh, that's going to be in bookstores in June 20th, digital strategist and uh, a dad, two girls. That's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Very nice. And how, how old are the girls? 16. Well, I'm sorry, 15. I'm making her 16 way before I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> 15 and 21. Very nice. Very nice. We were chatting about the book beforehand, and I'm I'm excited for it because um, it really gets into the nitty gritty, not only of what people need to do to be successful in this field, but also your personal story. So everybody check that out when when that comes out. You can find everything um, at vernonross.com forward slash book. So I, and all of that stuff, I'm sure will be in your show notes. Yeah, I'll put a link to that in, in the bottom. Yeah, so everybody can keep in touch. I think that'll be good. So one of the main things, really the main thing I wanted to chat with you today about is how people can position themselves persuasively online. And so I know you are the master of that. So Really, the conversation will just be essentially led by you with me interjecting with some uh, some sure. of my rookie questions. So <laughs> for everybody out there, what would you say the first few things they need to do in order to position themselves to have credibility online? You know, what's funny about that is there's so many ways to go about it, but 
there's some things that need to be consistent. And what I've found with people when they're, especially when they're first starting out online and they decide that, and it's usually a decision, well, you know, I need to make sure I have a good online reputation, but they don't start with the obvious. They don't start with making sure that their LinkedIn profile is up to date. Uh, usually what you'll see is someone will create a Facebook page. They'll go out there. They'll create a Twitter account if they don't already have one. They may go and, you know, get some some branding if they have a website for their website and their Instagram and their YouTube. And they try to make everything look consistent, but they don't start with a very basic thing, which is uh, LinkedIn, which is where everyone will probably focus to begin with just to see what the person's background is. So the first step I would say is get your LinkedIn profile consistent with the messaging that you're trying to communicate about your credibility overall online. So if you're a digital strategist, make sure that your LinkedIn profile aligns with being a digital strategist and you have examples of the work that you've done and some of the projects that you're working on. So then when people go to check you out and they look at LinkedIn, they'll see that then they'll start looking at your other social media profiles. So it's it's always good to start with LinkedIn as a foundation from a uh, professional standpoint. Yeah, I really like that advice because that's something I always tell the people that I mentor, that um, LinkedIn is one of the best opportunities to present yourself online because it's one of the few opportunities we have to control our search results, our Google results, because that's one mm-hmm. of the first things that comes up on Google. So that's really great advice. So what are what are some of the biggest mistakes you see with people on LinkedIn? Like where are our areas of opportunity? Most people treat LinkedIn like it's just a resume site. So I've talked to plenty of bloggers or social media experts that will have articles published. They'll have videos that they've done. They'll have panels that they've participated on. And this is if you're a little further along, I'll step back to if you're not, but if you're a little further along and they have some content out there, they've got stuff they've created, even if it's just work-related stuff, they work for an agency or something like that, but they don't highlight it on their LinkedIn profile, either in uh, LinkedIn posts, because you can post, you know, blog posts to your profile, link videos, SoundCloud, audio, all types of media that you can link in your profile. They don't do that one of the biggest mistakes is to not highlight what you're doing. And if they're involved in other organizations, they're not putting those organizations at a prominent level in their LinkedIn profile. So that when someone visits it, they really don't get a good outlook of who that person is. So now they're relying basically on anything that you're you're telling them, either in a conversation or what they see online. And those things may not consistently, uh, you know, jive with each other. So it's important to, to highlight some of your skills and some of the achievements that you've made in your LinkedIn profile, in, you know, in order to try to make yourself look more credible. Okay. And one of the things that has been personally a struggle for me is really understanding how to effectively utilize the description, your personal description that's right below your name and the summary. And I feel like that's an area of opportunity that people miss out on. I probably am missing out on it too. (laughs) I personally am interested in in hearing your take on how to utilize those particular areas. You know, what's funny about that is I, I jump back and forth all the time with whether or not my description and my, um, my summary is what I want it to be. When I looked at yours, I look at everybody's, I mean, it says what you do. It's negotiation consultant, lawyer, podcaster, mediator. I know from a quick glance what you're doing. Most people just put their position down there for their previous job 
or they don't put anything. It's just their name. When people visit your profile, that's your opportunity to tell them exactly what it is that you do and what your goal is for being on LinkedIn. You can put it as a summary or, you know, whatever you want to put. Like for mine, it says author, social strategy podcast host, digital marketing strategist, speaker, and I have LinkedIn profinder there. I need to change that. But um, I mean, you know, in a nutshell, I'm like, oh, okay, this is what he does. And then in my summary, I talk about exactly what it is that I'm looking for with a sort of call to action. I talk about the fact that I do speaking. So I said, if you're looking for a great speaker for your association, consider contacting Vernon. And then I have my short bio along with some videos underneath of me speaking uh, with some other videos that I've done, a couple interviews that I've done along with like right before you even get to that, I have the post, the blog post that I've written. It's kind of going back to what I was saying before. And uh, I don't want to, I don't want to repeat myself, but making sure that your branding basically is consistent across every part of LinkedIn. You, you want to, if you're trying to speak, let people know that you're a speaker. So that should be in your, in your little short summary underneath your name and your name and your title. And then right in your summary, you should also be repeating that information. And that will work as far as um, also increasing uh, the chances that SEO is going to find you when people start searching. Hopefully that answers that question. Yeah, no, it does. And it gives me a lot of things that I, I need to think about too, because I'm sitting here wondering, oh, why am I not getting as many speaking engagements as I like? Maybe it's because I don't put speaker in my... <laughs> in my little heading. So that's an edit that I need to make too. Yeah, this is really good. And one thing I noticed too, is that your summary is pretty lengthy. Is there a limit that you would say that people should put on their summary? Or do you just take as much as you need to to convey your message? Uh, You know, I think you should take as much as you need to uh, convey your message, to be honest. I don't think that it matters a lot. I've seen short summaries. I've gone back and forth with short and long summaries and I like to experiment with it. I say, you know, A-B split test anything and everything that you do online when you can. And I hate split testing. And uh, A-B split testing is when you you see an ad and it's one way for one person and then it's another way for another person. So try that with your LinkedIn profile. I would say change it to see what works. Leave it for a couple of weeks. And if you start to see an increase in people finding you in search, there's something that you're doing that's working. The other way is to look at the people that are leaders in your industry. I mean, the people with the top profiles that when you search for the keywords that you're interested in. So if you're looking for speaker, author, podcaster, and those are your three search terms, you enter that in the search for LinkedIn and whoever comes up number one and number two, I would go through their profiles and study what they're doing. And if they're not a celebrity, because there's a bump that you get from being well-known anyway, if they're not a celebrity, then definitely look at what they're doing in their profiles. And I wouldn't say copy it exactly, but use it as a guide to what you should be doing in your profile or how you can uh, enhance some of the things that you have in your profile that fit your, you know, your level of experience and skill set. This is brilliant. I've never considered doing that. And, and now you're causing me to change the way I think about LinkedIn because I think I, I was thinking about it essentially as a, a glorified resume site, but not really thinking about how I 
am positioned in comparison to similarly situated people. I think that's a good way to consider it because it's we're competing. We're always competing. And if you don't know who your competition is or what they're doing that's successful, you're already behind the eight ball. Absolutely. And you know, the uh, the good thing about it, and uh, although I do link, uh, do a lot of LinkedIn training, not that that was what we were going for, but one of the thing that, things that LinkedIn does for you is you can see who's viewed your profile. And when you're looking at who's viewed your profile, and if you're a pro member, that's the thing. So there's different levels to LinkedIn. If you're free, you only get a certain number of people that you can see who viewed your profile. If you have the very basic uh, LinkedIn membership, I think it's like nine bucks or something like that. You can see about five connections deep, but more importantly, um, you can see how your profile ranks. And it's like the third tab over when you look at it and it'll tell you exactly within your circle of peers where your profile ranks. So it'll tell you if you're in the top 38% or the bottom 68% and who in your circle of influence is ranked number one on down. If you're not connected with them, it may be people that you want to connect with. And if you are connected with them and you're showing up, but you're not showing up in the top, then you can go start going through your peers and looking at their profiles and seeing, okay, how can I improve my profile to look more like this or to uh, highlight some of this information? Wow. So <laughs> this is crazy. So I'm, I'm definitely going to have to pay up for that because that's, that's really great intel. And so how have you used that personally, that the more expensive version to advance your professional career? Like what specific examples have you seen of it helping? One of the things that um, with my profile, because I'm active on LinkedIn and I, um, I use all the tools that LinkedIn has, the free ones and the paid ones. With the free tools, groups used to be a lot um, better than they are now. I'm not crazy about LinkedIn groups because they can get a little spammy depending on the quality of the group and if it's moderated well. But I would use LinkedIn groups and I use LinkedIn groups to find people that I'm interested in contacting or aligning with based on organizations that they belong to, associations that they belong to, and the places that I'm targeting for speaking or consulting. So when you start looking at LinkedIn, you can grab maybe five people. Some people say more than that, but I say five because most people aren't. It's just, it can be time consuming. Grab five people or write down five things that you want to speak about based on your topic, associations, organizations, and start searching for those organizations and associations on LinkedIn. Then look at those members. If you are in a group with one of those members, now you have a reason to contact that member and send them an invitation to connect. He's like, hey, I noticed we're in the same group. You know, I, you, I saw a post that you did, or if they're not someone who posts in groups often, you can just say, hey, I noticed we're in the same group. We have some very similar interest. I'd love to connect and, you know, expand our relationship further or, or however you want to phrase it. But something like that, a little personalized invitation. Because you're in a group, you should be able to send them an invitation. Or if not, you can reach out to them in the group and let them know that, hey, I'd like to connect with you, but I wanted to let you know here first in the group before I sent you a personal invitation. Because some people won't respond to people that they don't know. It used to be that LinkedIn allows you to connect with anyone you were in a group with, but they realized that people were circumventing their in-mail that you have to pay for by just joining groups and then connecting with people uh -huh. that were in the group for free. So. You can't really do that anymore, but, you know, for the most part, if people want to connect, sometimes they'll have their email address in their LinkedIn profile. 
I've used it like that to get speaking gigs, to get consulting gigs. LinkedIn actually contacted me when they were creating their LinkedIn Profinder service, which is a lot like the Thumbtack service, where you can seek out a professional for a certain thing that you, you're trying to get done. I was one of their like first 10 or so beta testers for that program because I'm so active on LinkedIn, where they send you leads based on the type of service that you provide. Wow, this is fascinating. Yeah, this is a whole new world for LinkedIn for me at least. And it's Oh yeah, it's it's crazy, man. It's deep. And what's interesting too is essentially you're utilizing similar principles that you would actually use in real life and then bringing yes. it to the to LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So, Absolutely. So before we move on to the the other social networks or other mediums that we could use to establish credibility, is there anything else that we missed on LinkedIn that you'd, you'd like to address? No, you know, there's so much stuff on LinkedIn to go into. The one thing that I would say is that if you are posting online, creating content online, take that content and put it on LinkedIn, especially like, uh, you know, for podcasters. I was shocked at the amount of traffic that I get from podcast episodes where I post a summary of the show notes as a blog post, along with the same cover art that I would use for the podcast. And I'll link a SoundCloud link to it. Or um, Spreaker was working within post, but it stopped. I'm not sure what works now. I know YouTube works on LinkedIn. So if you upload the audio that you've done from a podcast along with an image, you can basically create a video with a still image that has the audio and then post that on LinkedIn as the episode so people can listen to it right within the post. And I was shocked at the the number of uh, traffic that I got from that for the podcast from LinkedIn. Yeah. Only other thing I would say is make sure you're taking advantage of the uh, the LinkedIn pulse and, and posting there. Nice. I like it. Okay. Now behind LinkedIn, what would you say is the second most important online tool that we should be using to establish our credibility? Funny enough, I was going to say Twitter. Mm -hmm. I use Twitter quite a bit, but the depth on Twitter has, uh, has started to fade. So it used to be, if you responded, you had a, a, a decent sized audience on Twitter. If you asked a question or you were, well, mostly if you asked a question or you responded to a question, you would get an answer or you get a lot of answers and a lot of interaction. I'm getting a lot less interaction now on Twitter than I do on Instagram. So I would say that depending on the, the niche that you're in, focus on creating content around that on Instagram because the, um, the involvement is going to be a lot deeper, surprisingly enough. You would think that Instagram is just, you know, photos and stuff like that. But I've been watching Gary Vaynerchuk and what he does. And uh, Gary is a social media influencer, runs a huge agency, lots of um, business related content that he produces. But he's been dominating LinkedIn. or no, I'm sorry, not LinkedIn, but uh, Instagram lately. And I've noticed the amount of involvement that his audience, it, it's increased. I mean, probably doubled over the past, I would say, three months because he's had a hard push on Instagram. And so I just start replicating some of what I saw him doing based on, you know, my audience. And I mean, I've probably seen my traffic over just the past three weeks increase by about 25, 30 wow. percent with contacts and outreaches just from posting on a regular basis on LinkedIn. I mean, I'm sorry, on uh, on Instagram. I need to close LinkedIn because I keep look, looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fascinating because I think for a lot of the entrepreneurs and business people out there, 
they just think about Instagram as a, just purely social uh, for entertainment. You know, I know that's right. the way I thought about it. And so for me, where it's almost it's strictly information based, I really don't have any imagery that would be too motivating. What type of things mm-hmm. do you think would work for somebody who's in that kind of realm who might be, let's say you're an employee at a business working there or somebody who's trying to start up? Uh, as an entrepreneur? You know, I think it's more um, probably entrepreneur based or entrepreneur focused. But what I've seen work is images with text. So if you take a lot of selfies, or even if you don't, inspirational messages work well, either ones that you think of, or ones that you're quoting, quotes work well, especially if you put some commentary in the uh, in the comments of that quote, which helps a lot. And you hashtag it with terms that are relevant to who you're trying to reach. So if you're trying to reach, I'll use podcasters as an example, hashtagging with podcasters, podcasts, podcasting in the, you know, comment after your main comment so that it doesn't look like you're just putting a bunch of hashtags in there. Cause that's kind of an etiquette thing on Instagram, but you know, an inspirational quote that you can create a, a quick, you know, inspirational quote image on Canva canva.com is a uh, image site that you can use. Um, you can grab inspirational images from Unsplash, which is free. There's no attribution that has to be paid to Unsplash. It's just a collection of uh, high-res photos that a bunch of photographers take and put up online, and you can use them freely. They ask that you you know at least mention Unsplash in your post on social media, but they've got some really inspiring high-res images that you can tape, drag into Canva, create a quick, you know, here's a background, here's an inspirational quote for Monday, and put that up. And then maybe every other post that you put up there, you will put something related to your business or what you're trying to do. Hey, did you know that startups in Houston have grown 35% and we're one of them? Check us out at such and such and such, link in bio, because you can't link anything in your, whatchamacallit, in your, um, in your post, but you can have a link in your bio back to your startup and just stuff about the thing that you're doing. So, you know, if you're a startup and startup life, you're an attorney, you could talk about things that only attorneys would understand and target attorneys. If you're trying to serve that or talk about negotiation, like, you know, what's the most important principle in negotiation or framing a negotiation and how you enter the room when you're walking in to pitch especially if there's a negotiation, may determine how that negotiation goes based on how you're standing in the room. You know, are you handing out stuff before you even start talking, which is going to take attention away from you versus talking to the audience first, getting them to understand that you're the authority, and then when it's time, handing them something. So putting that down as a tip, did you know that, you know, that when you walk into a room, The framing, stopping in the door and waiting for people to turn around and see you frames you as an authority. Did you realize that? Something like that in a, you know, in a tip that you can put on Instagram. And then people like, oh, man, I didn't know that. Link to your website or your capture page, your landing page, and it will start to paint you as more of an authority and a thought leader in that industry than just putting up a a quote image. I love it. That's great. And I want to say, too, that the example you came up with on that freestyle <laughs> was pretty cool. I didn't I never thought of that. But now I'm, I'm definitely going to be the guy pausing at the back of the room. <laughs> awesome. I forgot who I heard that from. I think it was um, 
Oh, who was that? It was either Brian Tracy or it might have been Zig Ziglar. It was one of those guys. There's um there is a book about negotiation um, by a guy named Oren Claff, who I've not had on my podcast yet, but I definitely want to get him on the podcast. I'm trying to think of the book. Is it? I'm actually pulling anything? it up on my. Yeah, it is pitching. You know what's funny about that? I am currently reading that book. <laughs> Man, that is a that is an amazing book. Yeah, let's make a pact right now because I was thinking I need to get this guy on the podcast too. So whoever gets him <laughs> on first, we will make the intro for the next person. <laughs> right, right. That's cool. Yeah. So for anybody out there who who has a pitch coming up, actually, one of my listeners reached out to me and said he has a pitch coming up. So um, the book is called Pitch Anything by Oren Claff. Phenomenal book. Yeah, it is. It's definitely amazing. Yeah. So before you go, because I know we're coming up on time now, what is one tip that you would give to the audience about what they can do to be more persuasive? Smile more. I know it's weird, but I had a person tell me that they're like, hey, you look so mean sometimes. And I'm like, (laughs) what are you talking about? (laughs) This is a few years ago. And I, you know, I would go to a conference and I wasn't necessarily smiling, but I didn't realize that I had a frown on my face. And um, the lady, she was like, yeah, she's like, you just looked unapproachable, but I just don't. She's like, I couldn't see it. You seem like a nice guy. And I'm like, really? And she goes, yeah. Is it because you're shy? And I'm like, you know, possibly a little bit. I can, you know, I guess I can. Everybody can be in conference situations and stuff like that. She's like, you should really smile more. It would make all the difference in the world. And I'm like, okay, sure. And you know how you always go, oh, you should smile more. And it's like, am I supposed to walk around with a smile plastered on my face? (laughs) And I don't think that that was what she was talking about. But what I did notice is that when I go to conferences, when I go to networking events, even if I don't know the person, um, I will say, oh, hey, how you doing? With a smile. And it will open them up to conversation. And so I've noticed that in a negotiation situation, I was just in one last week talking to like a, uh, some finance guys and they're looking for some lead generation and stuff like that. I was one of the people in their, their, in the running, one of the top two that they're looking at. And when I met the guy, it was a smile. It was a nice handshake and you have to fill it out. But a pat on the shoulder is like, hey, man, how you doing? Happy New Year. And he's like, oh, well, happy New Year. I was like, so what would you get? What would you do? And I just went right into a conversation. So go right into it. Like, you know, if it was a weekend or you're it's a Monday, how was your weekend? So you shake their hand. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, you know, good to meet you. So how was your weekend? Oh, oh, my weekend was good. Well, it's awesome. What I ended up doing this weekend was if you want to go into the small talk, it really depends. You have to fill out the situation. Some situations aren't good for that. But when they are, to be more persuasive from a, um, I guess, a networking standpoint, which is kind of where my specialty lies, is being comfortable immediately with the person and treating them like you already know them helps break down some of the barriers. You won't be able to do that with everyone especially if you're going into like a pitch situation, stuff like that. It's just not what, you know, you're not going to be in that position. But showing confidence, not being nervous, or not showing that you're nervous by taking a couple deep breaths and being ready to deliver. Because think about it this way. Most of the time, people are just as nervous for you as you are. So it's not something that you have to, um, it's not something you have to worry about. 
I would say, you know, go in there, stand tall, shoulders back, chest out. I mean, it's just basic stuff, but it really helps with being persuasive and delivering your information like you know what you're talking about, even if you don't, because they don't know it. I tell speakers all the time when I'm coaching speakers, and I know this is kind of a long-winded answer, but a speaker will get on stage and they'll mess up and they'll say, oh, I'm sorry. I meant to say, never apologize, never say you're sorry, because the audience had no idea what you were going to say. So if you miss it, just roll with it and it'll be fine. I love it. That's so deep. You know, nobody has come on and said smile more as the persuasive tip. So I'm happy about that, that you said that because it's one of the easiest things you can do, but a lot of times people overlook it. And um, another part of what you said that was so deep was the fact that you said, go into the conversation as if you're already friends. And what happens when you smile and you go into the conversation with that friendly attitude is that you'll see that people reciprocate. So when you give more smiles, you'll get more in return. And if you treat people like a friend, they're gonna treat you like a friend. And what's interesting about the human mind is that a lot of times we assign meaning based on our actions. And so when they leave that interaction, they'll say, you know, I had a really friendly interaction with Vernon. Why is that? And then they'll assign the meaning because Vernon and I are friends. So I'm assuming that these minor changes you you made resulted in a defrosting of these relationships faster and, and creating these friendships at a higher rate. Yeah. Act like you're supposed to be there. That's part of the The other side of it is when you're in a situation that you're uncomfortable with, act like you're supposed to be there. So, you know, if you feel unwelcomed, act like you're welcome and genuinely be excited to meet people. So when you go into a situation, uh, you know, I'm genuinely excited to meet whoever it is that's in the room. I want to know more about them. I want to know their story. I want to know what's up with them, even when it's like a negotiation thing. So, you know, the thing I was in the other day, we ended up um, we, we were talking about business. And so I asked, well, you know, how does that relate to what your overall goals are long term? What do you want your outcomes to be, you know, outside of just your business? How does this impact your lifestyle? And they were a little shocked that I asked that question, but they were like, well, you know, this is what we're looking to do over the next 18 to 24 months. And once we get this done, we pretty much won't have to do anything else as far as seeking out new business. We'll be able to grow and maintain. And I'm like, Okay, good, because I want to help you do that. I want to help you get to that outcome. But I can't best serve you if I don't know what that is. And if you don't seek that out in conversation, then you're at a disadvantage. And it helps you be more persuasive because you'll be the one that wants to know what the outcome the person is looking for in the negotiation process or when you're trying to establish yourself as a as an authority or as credible. People that are credible tend to go a little deeper in conversations. And because they they know what they're talking about and they know what the person's going through. I think if you can establish that type of rapport with a person um, fairly early in a conversation, when it comes to negotiating anything as far as price or anything else like that, they'll be more comfortable and more apt to to deal with you than, than not. I love it. And you know, what I realized is that there is so much more that we could talk about. So we definitely need to have you back on (laughs) to talk about it. Oh, I love it, man. I just, you know, I can ramble on and on with the best of them. (laughs) Good stuff. Well, we appreciate it because this this has been really, really helpful. So thank you so much for coming on. No, I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much for inviting me, man. I uh, I'm honored to be on your podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you're finding this information helpful, please leave a review and subscribe. My goal is to teach these skills to as many people as possible, and leaving a review helps our search results, which helps us to reach more people. And remember, 
Negotiation is where persuasion and problem solving meet. So if you ever have any questions or need help with specific situations, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to help. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great week, and I'll catch you in the next one.